I, I, I love Florida. Florida's uh, I got a I got a special place in my heart for Florida. It's always a lot of fun. Great escape in the middle of the winter to get down there, get some vitamin D. You know. Well, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a little credit here. You owe me about your Florida love because I'm the one who sent you to the Redneck Mud Park for that awesome photographic story that you you created out of that. That was that that was the foundation. You're absolutely right. That was, was it? I think that was the first time I had gone down there. I believe before for Daytona, but that was the time down there when I was like, oh, this is you know they talk about the Florida man on the news and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. that, I was like, oh, this is the slice of life. Daytona is a little bit different, but yeah, that that was such a eye opening trip because I felt like I. Uh, immediately knew so many of the locals who well, live down there. I want to ask you about it, but first we should probably tell everybody what we're doing yeah. here. This is the Haggerty's Never Stop Driving podcast. I'm Larry Webster, your host. I'm the editor-in-chief of Haggerty Media, and I've got Cameron Nevue with us. He runs our social media, but he's so multi-talented. He also takes fantastic shots. He writes. He does all this stuff. And uh this is brought to you by the Haggerty Drivers Club. Uh, if you want to support all this, please go to Haggerty.com and support us. You can also watch all of our videos on uh, YouTube or also we are now on uh, Samsung TV Plus, channel 1194. It is free. And you go there and you watch all our videos. Okay, Red Dead Bug Park. Let's get back to that. That place, yeah. like I had heard about it. I thought this can't be real. That's why your, your photos were so fun because... I remember, I think you came back. I was like, so Cam, is it like they say? What, do you remember what you said? <laughs> I, I mean, pretty much, almost to a T. Yeah, it was like, I I was really nervous going into it because I had never, uh, I had never written any type of feature or anything like that. And oh, yeah. I even like, I remember being so nervous that I had, I scheduled like a 30 minute meeting with Aaron our feature editor yeah. to be like, okay, what should I look for? What should I think about? What should I be oh, doing before you went? Before I went, yeah, yeah, and that was like, so I was really nervous going into it, and then once I got down there, I was like, oh my gosh, if even if I walk away from this as like coming back with a photo gallery, I yeah. think that's going to stand on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I viewed it as at, at the least we're going to get killer photos. Yeah, at and hopefully this is an opportunity for write something longer. I think my advice was like. Cam, here's a notebook. When you come back, it should be full. Yeah. Right? That was the extent of it. More or less. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that was a great piece. And I it's on Hagerty.com's uh website now. If you research what did we it's the Redneck Mud Park in Florida. Yeah, if you just type in uh my name, Cameron Neveu, N E V E U, and then follow that up with Mud Park, yeah, you'll have the story. And that sure. is a private place that yeah. people pay to go and drive their four by fours in the mud and there was a tank there i think too right <laughs> yeah yeah there's a lot of decommissioned uh, army vehicles down there which is awesome but yeah private land i think three hundred thousand acres or something like big swath of land um i can't and... believe all the women that go in their bikinis and they and they they sit in these like bikini these uh baskets on the back of these trucks and they go trudge through the. <laughs> i guess i mean that's like that's it's the appeal right i don't think uh Anybody that I've ever hung out are they would, drinking? Would, I, I would say there's a fair amount of. Alcohol. Did anybody die? Uh, but you don't call it alcohol; you call it party liquor, right? <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> you call it party liquor. But uh, I don't think anybody passed away uh, or or perished in it. But it's definitely you want to keep your head on your toes or head on a swivel. Um, stay on your toes, and because uh, there's there's four by fours going all over the place, right? And so it's like. There was my favorite vehicle was a a pontoon boat that they put on top of like a blazer Chevy blazer chassis and they raised made. up that pontoon boat and they use them for uh, gigging 
uh, pigs out in the swamp because you can see up above the uh, gigging. Gigging, I believe, is the uh, the correct term for hunting wild pigs. boar. Wild boar, yeah. which are plentiful down there. Yeah, and right, so they, okay. these rigs um, that were mounted on the blazer chassis, just pontoon boats up like a story and a half high. Um, sounds they'd, they'd sounds, be, sounds really safe. Yeah, yeah, they'd be cruising around. <laughs> so you gotta you gotta keep your eye out, keep watch out for tanks and all that. But man, my gosh, what a what a fun story that was. Yeah, I mean, some of the images. I I was I I hate to reveal my uh, paternal nature, but whenever I send somebody and you, especially at something like that, I do worry about safety. And I know I've been in those situations where you're so hungry to get the story, you sort of lose your head a little bit. And like, I could see myself, like somebody comes up, Hey man, you want to go for a ride? See what it's like. I'd be like, yeah, sure. And I get in some, you know, clap chap thing and who knows what happens. And so I was glad that all worked out. I was worried about that with the tank for the first five seconds. And and then I got inside this decommissioned, I think it was Vietnam era tank. Mm -hmm. um, And it was, run by some of the nicest people at the park. I would have <laughs> so sat on it, top so I could jump clear. <laughs> that's pretty much what it is. I got to peek out the manhole and all oh, that. Really? It, was, it was a fun time. But yeah, yeah. it was a, uh, a, uh, a very early memory in the Haggerty tenure, but I'm, yeah. I'm glad I got to do it. So we're going to be on the opposite side of Florida. We're going to be on the Atlantic side near Jacksonville on this uh, little barrier on called Amelia for a... Uh, totally different automotive event uh super fun it's the amelia island concourse and it's really it's it's you know the headliner event is a what they call a concourse is like it's a classic car show where they bring really the best examples of certain cars and everybody gets to see them in one place but they've added all kinds of other things to this weekend there's a porsche show on friday there's a general cars and coffee and a radwood festival on saturday in between, there are seminars, right? There's one oh seminar you and I are very excited about. Yes, Which one's that? Yes. I forget the official name of it. That's on Saturday. Um, but it's on Saturday, and it's featuring Dale Jr., Ken Schrader, Terry Labonte, and I believe Rick Hendrick is going to be there. It is talking about, I think it's Close Finishes or something like that. I got to get the official title, but it's on Saturday, and it's got Dale Jr. That's all I care about. I'm going to be there. Gosh, I might have to miss it because... Um, I am going to be announcing the Broad Arrow live auction oh, that cool. afternoon. Yeah, and we're gonna um, we're gonna broadcast that live on Samsung TV Plus, which everybody can get if you do it uh, via a web browser or if you have a Samsung TV. It's on there, channel eleven ninety four, the Haggerty channel. We get to see your face. It's me, Camisa, and Ramsey Potts. We're gonna be talking about the cars <laughs> that come. <laughs> it's what a crew! Yes. What a crew! Oh my gosh! Yeah, Camisa and I, we're, we might come to blows. It'll be really fun and. Uh, you know, we love talking about cars and they've got a, uh, they've got quite a broad swath of cars. They've got a Acura Integra Type R, let's say on the 40 or $50,000 end, they've got a Bugatti Chiron, which is like four or 5 million on the other, all this stuff in between. It'll be super fun. I'm really excited about it. I love having something to do right. rather than just watch. Right. So I'm really grateful to have a job. Yeah, we just got we got some for our socials out there. Follow us at Haggerty. Um, we had some great footage roll in from the kind of the toy box where they have all these cars in oh. Savannah. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh, what an eclectic mix of yeah. like pre-war cars, Lamborghini Sienna. So. Yeah, it's like 160 cars. Amazing yeah. collection. So, so that'll be fun this weekend. So, if you're anywhere near the Florida area, uh, please come join us. Or you can buy tickets as you walk up uh, at the door. And if not. Channel 1194, also Haggerty.com, our socials, which will be kind of bringing you the action if you can't be there. Um, 
Otherwise, uh, you know, Amelia to me is uh, always the start of the driving season. It's like um, this in New York Auto Show. It's like uh, spring is here. We're sort of get a little taste of some sun. Uh, we'll come back to Michigan. And these are the sort of like the big things that, that, that sort of break up my year for me. I know you're driving. Good for you. I am. Um, I am. And you know that actually, you know when that started, that, that kind of tradition of driving down there? Do you yeah, remember? I do. What car, what car did you drive down there? Oh, was were you there for that? Oh, yeah, right. You drove it back. What do you mean, was I there for that? <laughs> okay, so for anybody wondering, Larry drove down a Porsche 9424. 924 Turbo. Yeah, yeah. Gorgeous car. Oh, missed that thing. But pretty much a VW Beetle with uh, with a nice dress on. No, that's the 911. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. this is an Audi, yeah. This is the Audi, right? Okay. It it certainly wasn't the Porsche that I had envisioned driving <laughs> back from Amelia. Um, yeah. But uh, getting to drive it back, that was really fun. Dude, Some you go ahead and make fun of me. I know what you're going to say. Do it. Tell me I was, tell, tell everybody what happened on that trip. So a friend of ours would put together this trip where you drive down the East Coast to the Amelia Island Concourse. You'd stop along the way, do some great roads. And my trip was pretty much a disaster. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah. So I inherited this car that had several issues uh, going on with it. One of which was you had to disconnect the battery every time. Do you want to refresh my memory on what I had to do every All time? Right, I, I, well, I want you to make fun of me for how often I was underneath that car along you, that week. Yes, yes. We <laughs> saw a lot it? of Larry's pant legs coming out of the, the bottom of this uh, Audi v- Porsche. It was a total disaster. So uh, I bought this car for five grand. It wasn't running and it only had like 30,000 miles on it. And the 924 came out in the late 70s and they made a turbo version. And this design is predated the 944. And I still look at photos of it. I'm like, why did I sell that thing? Really? They're beautiful. This clean little needle that goes through the air. Uh, But it was going to be Porsche's entry-level car. And so they used the four-cylinder engine from Audi. And then they put a turbocharger on it. And when I got the thing, it was burning so much oil uh, I, I got it running and then it was burning so much oil. I was like, uh Oh, I got an engine problem. And then I thought, you know what? I've never rebuilt an engine, but yeah, let me rebuild an engine. So, uh, and then I said, I want to go on this Amelia Island drive. So I had the engine machined. I got all the parts and I was rushing, putting together an engine I'd never done before. <laughs> I know yeah. you would think how old was I? I was like 49, 48. I would know better. No. Right. And uh, it was a really hard car to work on. Do you remember you were? Yeah, I remember trying to stuff the engine back in. And then the wastegate and the exhaust, it all is crammed up between the firewall and the engine. And it was all like the- untangling forks and then trying to mesh the forks back together. Shockingly hard. Yeah. And you couldn't get a tool on the bolts and then multiple little water lines and they all leaked. And uh, I pretty much got it together the night before I left. And said, well, it runs in the garage. Let's go. And I had so many problems uh, along the way. And these are just usual things that you do that I was constantly like, I didn't bring a jack. So I drive one side up on a curve so I could get (laughs) under it. And it was cold and everybody's making fun of me. And you idiot. I knew I was an idiot. Um, I didn't have time to drive it back. So I thought this would be this great opportunity. Hey Cam, you want to drive this Porsche home from Florida? And 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 that's what I heard. <laughs> that's, that, what you that's what I heard. I got tunnel vision. I said, "Yeah, absolutely. That sounds amazing." Yeah. So uh, I don't know. About two hours north of Jacksonville, I was in Florida in the backwoods. I was alone. Uh, the whole thing almost came to a screeching halt when the car just died. 
And I thought, well, this is it. And I called the tow truck. And as the tow truck was coming, I had heard um, that these cars have electrical problems. And what happens is, is the, the, there's this plastic panel that holds the relays and the fuses. And I had a spare relay that runs the fuel pump. But what you get like these, these hairline cracks or something in the plastic fuse panel. So you can't really look at it and say, why isn't it working? It's just not. And while I was sitting there, I, I fabricated up a little jumper and I put it in place of the relay, fired it up, and the car ran. And I was like, here we go. There you go. Got back in it, hit it as far as I could, and I got down there. But there were so many like kludges like that that you had to know because if you didn't pull out the the wiring, the uh, I think the fuel pump would run all night and drain the battery. There was stuff like that. Like I had to give you this whole you sheet had a list. Yeah, of yeah. instructions. <laughs> And I thought uh, there's two things. I was like, well, on one hand, if I was in camp shoes, young, free trip, yeah, what the hell? See what happens. On the other hand, what did I just sign you up for? (laughs) But in all seriousness, I that trip went really quite smoothly. I mean, so long as you, you know, attended to this grocery list itemization, it ran. It ran well. Yeah, and uh, and that was a motor I built, and that was a motor that you built. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Hats off. Why did I sell that car? Damn. But uh, some of those roads out there, and we were just talking about this before we went on, went on air, some of the roads down there, and as you get through Georgia up toward <sighs> Knoxville, beautiful roads, right? Right. So um, that kind of set the hook there. And yeah, I I think I every year between Daytona or Amelia, even did Sebring once, I, I typically make a road trip down to Florida just for fun, just to shake the cobwebs off. Yeah, and it, it's... Um I love the Amelia Concourse because it's such a great way to reconnect with a lot of car people. You go to these yeah. shows and I feel like I'm home. It's not like I'm at a neighborhood dinner party where I got to think I'm interested in sports when I'm not. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but it's suddenly I go down to something like this. It's a big gathering. It gets, you know, everybody out. And, uh, you know, right after this, we're going to be, I'm talking to somebody who will be down there with us as well, Richard Vaughn. Super interesting. Great guy. Yeah. Omnivore car person. He's a graduate of the College of Creative Studies. He studied transportation design. He's worked for Ford, Rivian, knows the automotive industry in and out. Uh, I was so excited to talk to him, Cam, because every time I do, I see him at an event. He's here in Detroit and we start talking. He peels back another layer of the automotive industry for me and explains it. And um, What do you mean by that? Well, there's so much happens behind the scenes, you know, how they build cars, oh. how they engineer them, what are some of the compromises? You know, by the time, like, in, in the journalist world, when you go to talk to a car company, they always give you the rosy parts. Yeah. Or they, you go drive a car on a press junket. I've, I've noticed that they pick the place to you drive it where it performs at the best. Oh, my gosh. It's so curated, all those It's all curated. Yeah. Great yeah. way to put it. So uh, to hear from him and the backstories and stuff is super fun. That's awesome. I'm excited. Yeah. We call that we call that BTS content in the, you know, social land. Is that we, what it's called? Yeah. Do people Behind like the that? scenes. Oh my gosh. That's what I'm hoping to get at Amelia. I want to show gavels falling. I want to show Oh, is that right? Yeah. I want to sh- I want to take people behind the curtain. So you see what the kids are into these days? BTS content all day, Larry. Really? Yes, absolutely. Why? I think it there's so much that we do know with just general media and coverage. Mm. I think about like, you know, you and I like NASCAR. Some of the best performing stuff that I've noticed on social with NASCAR is explaining, you know, like having 
actual people walk up banking and explaining like the vertical of a of why is that behind the scenes? That's just like giving fresh information, like a way to show really how extreme this is. Another way to illustrate it. Yeah, I would say it's I would say it's that, but it's labeled as behind the scenes because it's not in the natural coverage, right? It's not hmm. woven into you tune on you tune into your race and that's not in there. So uh you filmed a behind a BTS yes. video of us in this room. We're in the Haggerty office in Arbor where we make the magazine and we have all the magazine pages all on the wall. And you get the magazine by being a member of the Haggerty Drivers Club. And uh, everybody seems to like it. Uh, so we spend a lot of time curating, perfecting, polishing. So you're saying all I really need to do is not make the magazine, just fake making a magazine, exactly. but it's BTS content. I'm good. Exactly. Just <laughs> We should mount a GoPro to your forehead okay. and next wall walk when you're shooting down covers or saying, I like this, yeah, I like yeah, that. Yeah. We, should, we should just stream that. That's it. Done. That's so much more time. <laughs> should do that. Okay. Uh, what else can we look forward to down in Amelia? Are there any cool cars that you've been, you've been looking at? Anything specific that pops out to you? You know, that's part of the fun of it is uh, I don't have the full picture of it oh. and that's on purpose because i like to be surprised but they they have two big awards it's best in show mm -hmm. which is sort of like your basic not basic but your usual concours which is like pre-war stuff duesenberg but then they have this sport class and what amelia is known for is the race cars that they bring right and since rick hendrick is the featured i don't know he's a featured guest honorary whatever yeah there'll be a lot of his cars there and since he's been involved in NASCAR for what, 40 years now? 50. 40 years, yeah. yeah. His The cars that he'll bring, the the history behind him will be super cool. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I hope, I love some of those 80s Monte Carlos. Yeah. Yes. You know, I was almost named Monty. My parents almost, my, that, my, really? dad, my dad lofted that out there. He's like, what about Monty? <laughs> and then Cameron was kind of like, as, as I understand it, Cameron was kind of a compromise because it was a more legitimate name at the time. And it, uh, it had a little bit of camshaft, Camaro. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah. My dad wanted to name my sister Bel Air. <laughs> <laughs> Autorama is a crazy show, Cam. I mean, it, it's you've been there. We've both been there. We love it. Um, the Autorama is where they award this thing called the Riddler Award. It is the most coveted award in the customized paint fabricator community. I mean, these people are artists. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And they... Just from the contenders, I think it's called the grade eight, right? That starts out. They whittle it down to the grade eight. So just getting in the grade eight is a huge honor to those folks. And they work really hard at it. We actually, um, we did a feature story on a Cadillac that had been customized and it won the Riddler to see what goes into it. These are now million dollar cars. The hours and hours and years it takes to uh, build one of these. And it's super fun too, because it's it's gotten to be very much like an artist patron model. Like the patron is the person who shows up with the money and he hires the right craftsperson to do it and they get to build the car and it's not just building it, but how fastidious they are, how detail oriented they are. They talk about the, uh, the bolt heads lining up. Is everything plated the same color? They put mirrors underneath to see. I mean, you've seen it. It's pretty nuts. It's in depth. When we did that story that ran in the magazine, I think you can find it on Haggerty.com yes. slash media right. about the station wagon Cadillac. Cad Mad, I think it was the, it was, the yeah. name. Oh my gosh. Blew Incredible. me away. Incredible. I mean, yeah. even just like stuff you will never see yeah. on that car, 
that they sweated the all the details and all the all the attention to areas that you couldn't even find with a flashlight. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sad I'm going to miss it because a friend of mine is preparing a car oh. that he thinks will get him into the grade eight, and we're trying to do a story on it, um, but it's not done. And we're getting down to the wire and he doesn't want to waste any time. And he called me the other night and he was like, yeah, I'm sorry. We can't do it. Blah, blah, blah. And I, and, uh, I said, what's the problem? He's like, well, we put the motor in and we nicked something and we got to get it fixed. I was like, is anybody going to see it? He's like, mm, probably not. And he's like, then my brother's freaking out. That's in the body shop. There's all this dust around. And I, you know, I could hear it in his voice, like yeah. the tension. I was like, Hey, wait, you do this for fun, right? It's like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course, you know. <laughs> this is this is this is fun. What's the problem? What's your, what's your problem? You lazy bones. Uh so it's it's a bunch of folks like that that really take a lot of pride in their workmanship. And it's um the fun thing about it is, you know, a lot of the trades had uh they didn't get the same status as a lot of the white collar jobs. And this was always the place where those folks were honored and they they looked to each other and you know, gave each other the thumbs up or the thumbs down. It's a, it's a fantastic community. You know, it's fun to be around them and talk to them and everybody takes so much pride in their work. It's like, uh, I find it very energizing. So I'm sad I'm going to miss it. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good, uh, you know, if you go to Amelia this year, make a date to go to Autorama the next year and flip flop back and forth. I it mean, is, if, you, if you're within three, four hours of Detroit, you owe it to yourself to go to Rama. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Absolutely. Two floors of craziness. Cool yeah. yeah. Well, Cam, I think we sort of covered it. Yeah. I want to get right to Richard Vaughn. He's such an interesting character. Give us all that background about the automotive industry, design, cars, all that stuff. I hope everybody enjoys it. Uh, please, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, give us a rating. We'd love to hear what you think and the feedback. It'll help us and spread the word. You know, we're about, we're here to spread car love, preserve for the next generation. We could certainly use your help in that regard. Um, so anyway, let's get on to Richard. Thanks, Cam. I'll see you in Florida. See you in Florida. Richard, thanks for being here. It's Thank really good to see me. you. Um, you know, Richard Vaughn, I've been looking forward to this discussion for a long time. I see you uh, in, in, in car circles here in Detroit. I'm always like, oh, thank God, because it's going to be a fun conversation, right? Your 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 background fascinates me because you've been uh, you've worked at legacy auto companies, you've worked at Ford, you've worked at new car companies like startups like Rivian, you've worked mm-hmm. at suppliers, you've spent time in China, you graduated from the College of Creative Studies with a degree in automotive design. We used your expertise to tell us like how bad is it going to be when our '80s cars <laughs> plastic you know turns to glass. Uh, so you know one of these. Uh, thanks for coming in, by the way. Uh, and one of the things that that you've spoken about, which I thought would be fun to discuss in a little more detail, was this. It sounds boring, but it really isn't. Is this revolution in automotive manufacturing that you've seen that I don't think people are aware of and um, what that's going to mean in the future. And maybe if you wouldn't mind, just give the audience a, you know, a quick summary of some of the things you've told me. Well, um, it's an interesting time to be in the car business. It always is. It always, but lately, like in the last 10 years, it's really been dramatic because there's so many changes that are being driven by these startup car companies like Tesla and Rivian and Lucid and some that people haven't heard of like BYD, NEO. These are the Chinese companies. Yep. And I don't know that 
I don't think enthusiasts are aware of how the innovation on the engineering and manufacturing side of those businesses is affecting the legacy car companies whose products they're in love with. Well, I mean, just the fact that you you use the word innovation and manufacturing is fascinating to me because, you know, ever since whatever Henry Ford 100 years ago came up with the assembly line, they've gotten it to a place that is, I think, like this few realize what a machine, a modern car factory is. Because they take a very complex product, they pop it out in repeatable, high-quality ways for ridiculously cheap sums of money. But what you're saying is, is there's more to come. There's more to come. And those developments are going to change the product offerings. Well, they already have changed the product offerings. Oh, what? That people like us who love cars can buy. Um, there's just a lot. Oh, of I change. got one. I got one. Okay. The, the gut check this, right? Um, this is a car you and I like. I actually, Camisa uh, owns one of these. I own a bigger version of it. It's the Lotus Elise. Yeah. There'll never be another car like that. <laughs> right. But that right. is one of the last cars I remember that came up with a, a really way to, to construct a car. And it used those aluminum extrusions yep. that are joined at the corners with epoxy and rivets. Yep. And it made a really stiff, light, cheap structure. It was so great. Nobody else uses it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the problem with that is if you crash it, oh, it's toast. You're done, (laughs) right? You can't repair it. Yeah, it's not repairable, really. And yeah, it's tough. But stuff like that, yeah, it's you know there are all kinds of innovations in body construction, and people, you know, nobody cares about how the sausage is made, but what they care about is that the cars are affordable or not, and that's where you know, some of these manufacturing innovations come in. So, for example. Yeah, give me an example. You're talking. Okay. Yeah. So, and tr- if you've ever been in a car factory, you've probably been in a car yeah, factory, I've been in right? Yeah. Every car factory has been the same for, you know, 100 years. You have a body that comes down the line. We call it a body in white. It's mm. just a sheet metal. It's got paint on it. And then at, and there's stations. And at each station, there's somebody or two people on each side of the car that are doing something. So you get to a station, there's somebody installing seats on one side, there's somebody putting a console in on the other side, and they run around and put seats on the other side. And that's labor and that's cost, right? And time. It looks tiring. It's exhausting. And um, uh, it's it's difficult for the operators to do that because they're lifting things, even though they have lift assist. They're bending and repetitive motion and all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, So Tesla, and I think Neo as well, what they're doing is their body comes down the line now. It has no floor in it. So there's a, a, a line that's underneath where the main body is. And that line underneath has the battery pack, which has the, the wiring harness, the carpet and acoustics, seats and console already on it. And they just raise that into the body of the car. No way. And then they zip, zip, zip. And some adhesive and and you're done there, there's not a a station where there's four people installing seats consoles and instrument panels that's done on the battery pack yeah you just stick them on top of a platform essentially. right yeah you're just sitting the body on top of a platform so this is the is this a skateboard essentially uh no we've because we've heard that when, when you idea. think of a skateboard that has propulsion on it right right this doesn't this doesn't have propulsion this is just the, the pack which is the floor which has all this stuff on it. I mean, think of the assembly time they're saving. And so that's why it's innovations like that 
that um so wait wait let me if you don't back up this is really interesting yeah. so instead of having to crawl through the the door opening to install this stuff in a cramped cell of a passenger car all of this stuff the seats the center console maybe the dash whatever the carpet is installed on a let's essentially say a flat platform that is the battery yeah and that and then it's raised up into into the into the body which is kind of like when you buy a, a model kit and the body is just this little thing yeah, right yeah right right and that's it yeah and that that is the big unlock and nobody's done this before uh, there's a chinese company doing it right. uh, so tesla's doing it in north america you know there's a chinese company doing it and I, i'm not sure if the tesla plants in in europe and china are are doing it yet but so um, is the big change in a typical car that's a gas car the floor is just a piece of, sh of sheet metal yeah. it's thin so it's, this, it's it's a series of stampings that are um, welded together, or maybe one stamping that's yeah. you know welded to something else. So you needed all the other structure to make it stiff, but now you have this battery pack which has some depth to it. It's the battery pack can be structural. It can be structural, yeah. so it's like twelve inches thick, give or take. I haven't. I don't know how the thickness of their pack, but it can vary. I you mean, think, it, oh yeah, I mean it depends on the car and the size of the batteries. You know, there's all that kind of stuff that's in the background. So when Tesla says that next year or that within the next year they're going to come out with an even less expensive car. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about driving the cost down through product design, designing the cost out of the product, right? Rather than trying to figure out how to build a car and then you know take cost out where the customer you know sits and it's a very different new. way of thinking. This is new. And and uh, another example, car you know, companies don't do this. I thought this was like I know what. You can't even, you, you, legacy car companies can't even discuss these things. You know, it's not. Oh, they're constrained by the We've production never force. done it that way. And our factory's not set up that way. And we, oh. you know, we have to have a floor. We can't use the batteries. Top. I mean, there's a lot of um, can't do it. I, yeah, but I know there is, but there's changing too. Because a friend of mine works at the Sterling Heights uh, Ford plant that is now assembling electric motors. And uh, he installs the the electrical service for what he says are these armies of robots. Mm -hmm. And he said, they just have this one big room that is full of robots. He's like, they don't even turn the lights on. And he, he describes it's the creepiest thing ever because you open the door and all you hear is whoosh, 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 and you can't see anything. And these things are just operating in, in total darkness. Yeah. So that's like one of those things you talk about is how they're driving the cost up. Um, but th those are incremental innovations, oh. right? Right, because we've had robots. This isn't new, right? Okay. Right? All right. Is, those are incremental. We're talking about changing the fundamental way that cars are built. And another great example, and Camissa talked about it in one of the Carmudgeon shows, was um, uh, you know Cybertruck. I mean, forget how it looks for a minute. It doesn't matter whether we like the way it looks. Let's get to that in a minute. This is a car that doesn't have a steering column, right? Yeah. And because you don't have a steering column, you, you've taken out all that weight. Talking taking out massive safety issues with steering columns. Sure. You can reduce the size of the cross car beam. That's Doesn't. the thing that the HVAC is attached to and, and yeah. the steering column is traditionally attached to. I mean, these are major cost savings and innovations for that also enable spaciousness, um, reduce NVH issues. There's all kinds of benefits to it. Yeah, that was my favorite part about that video he did. You know, he did that really in-depth review. And you know, you and I both know Jason. I've worked with him forever, and he and I have driven enough cars together that we, I know when he describes the way a car feels, I trust it. 
And this is one of five people in the world I trust. Even though he likes the Scirocco, you still still, you still to this trust day. Him. I don't know how I do. He, like every time I'm going to buy a car, I'll usually call him and he'll be like, well, "Why would you want that?" And I'm like, "Well, because of this." He's like, "No, no, 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 it's boring." I'm like, "Yeah, you're right. It's kind of boring." You know. Anyway, so the way he described that steering, how the the ratio, meaning the response from when you turn the wheel to how much the car turns, is is variable and it yeah. changes on speed and. It sounds really discombobulating, and he said, "No, you get used to it in a short order." I thought, "Well, it's like one pedal driving. That? You got used to one pedal drive. I mean, you've driven EVs, right? Yeah. And I, I know it's disconcerting at first if you get into an EV and you've right. never driven one, yeah. and suddenly you you have to figure out that the the accelerator pedal is also allowing you to brake the car." Yeah. So you're saying, uh, if I get you right, you know. You've worked in the Detroit automotive industry. I've covered it for many years. Whenever I'm around those engineers, they're always like, I'm always impressed. Like they're really, really smart. They really, really know what they're doing. So either I've always thought like either I'm really dumb, which is possible, <laughs> and they seem smart, but they're not. I think they're smart. Or these car companies are like uh, Dilbert cartoons in real life. Like these big bureaucracies of layers and layers that have just been added on over decades which means a company like Tesla, which is 20 years old, has this really great nimble advantage. Is that yeah. sort of what you're saying? Um, yeah, so Tesla has a really flat organization. A lot of the newer companies have really flat organizations. There's not as much hierarchy. And I've heard know, that it sounds like chaos, but right. sure. Hierarchy, and maybe it is chaos. Who makes, it, who makes the call? Yeah. Well, I think you have to empower people at lower levels to make good decisions. That's a big difference, whereas, I mean, True story. Uh, when I worked at Visteon, which was a tier one supplier, that means a big supplier that's supplying huge system level parts into a car company. Um, we invented this thing called, uh, it was called Climate in a Box, which was climate a climate system that um, put all of the components of the climate system in one unit that was electrically driven and not belt driven. And so you could move this very small Oh, so you had component. a fan, a heat exchanger, all that in All one. of the components of it were in this wow. unit that could then be placed in, electrically driven unit that could be placed in different parts of the vehicle. Sounds great. Um, <laughs> I probably went to 60 meetings in Detroit about this. Yeah. We would always show this thing. We showed it at all the you know, legacy car companies. Even around the world, we would show this thing. And, and that was my job as a designer because I'm trying to show them, okay, here's what an interior could look like if you had this thing. It could be this much more spacious. And oh, the yeah. Dashboard could be this thin. Yeah, yeah. It could be all this stuff. Cool. All these meetings. Yeah. We take it to one meeting at Tesla. Right. Elon Musk gets in the car. He says to my colleague, he says, uh, he says, I'm allergic to bullshit. Don't give me the sales fish. Just tell me why I want this. This <laughs> friend of mine who's, that I work with, he, he explains it. Elon Musk gets out of the car and says, that's it. That's what we're doing. He just turns to his guys and walks out of the room. You know. That doesn't sound still, like empowering employees to be. They're still having meetings about it in Detroit. You know, people, this is six or eight years ago yeah. we were meeting. It's sad. It is sad, yeah. isn't it? But the result of all that is, you know, Tesla can lower prices, you know, and, and, and they can lower prices and be profitable because every time they come up with a new innovation, it lowers the cost of building the vehicle. Whereas the legacy car companies that are trying to build cars that you know are affordable and people can drive, when they lower prices, they just lose money. 
it's unfortunate. They, they can't take the cost. They out can't take the, the cost out. Right. They're trying to get it with, you know, reducing the, you know, make the plastic a little thinner on the interior. The all the, yeah, the take yeah. features out. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. You got to bust this myth for us. Um, this is what we've heard. We've heard um, two things about when a new car comes out. On one hand, don't buy it because there's bugs that need to be worked out. And That's they get probably worked true. Out the first step. <laughs> On the other hand, I've also heard that those first early vehicles in year one or two, they just came loaded with That's all the good true. stuff that they take out. And I bought a Ram three years ago, and I just replaced it with the exact same thing, and it feels cheaper. Mm-hmm. Is that am I crazy? Every, what, everything you just said is one hundred percent true. <laughs> you, pro, I mean, every now and then I'll see somebody like in the Haggerty Classifieds or something yeah. advertising that you know I've got number six built X Y whatever the car is. This right. is the eighth one built. I'm thinking I don't want that. You don't want that junk. I mean, but it has the nicer materials. The thicker. But you will weather, have the right? more. Absolutely, it will. Yes, if you look at any car from the first year, it's going to have better stuff in it than the same car three years later. And that's the game. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Does every car company pretty much do that? Or the Japanese? Cause I feel like Honda's yeah. pretty consistent or do they do it too? Um, they're all, they're all doing it. They're all doing it. They're all doing it. <laughs> so what's the sweet spot? Do you want the car? I'm year making year two. two. <laughs> I'm year making two. year two. And they then, figured out how to build it. It's right. not held together with Loctite. Right. right. You know, <laughs> I've seen that. Oh, really? Oh, I, I've seen uh, you wouldn't believe the way some of the early cars get built in manufacturing plants. No kidding. Um, and it doesn't matter how high tech a plant is. Right. It doesn't matter if it's the latest, greatest technology. There's always, like, at the end of the production line, some huge guy with a sledgehammer that's trying to bend the door so it fits. <laughs> a real, like, sledgehammer? Oh, yeah. They're hitting the They're strikers. Just the oh, yeah, yeah. People are like, twisting the doors and doing all kinds. I mean, it, that's the nature of manufacturing. And then like 40 years, these cars get to us and we're afraid to drive them in the rain. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Or people, you go to car shows and people are obsessing about um, it wasn't this way in the factory. They didn't use that fastener. I mean, I've been in car plants, but you've run out of something and they've sent people to Home Depot to yeah. buy something that they need so they can get to the end of the day, you know, some screws or something like it's, oh my gosh. you know. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I bought this uh, 73 Camaro once and this was, yeah, it was when my uh, third kid, my third kid was born, so it was 15 years ago. I took out a loan to buy it. It was $22,000 and it had said it had 22,000 miles and I, I thought it looked legit. What do I know? And I remember I got it home and I was looking at the door jams. This is the area when you open the door and you see it. And at the seam where the flat would meet a vertical panel, it was just looked like somebody took bathroom caulk and just sprayed it in there. And I thought, oh, I blew it. You know, look, how this is such a hack repair job. And I took it to somebody and said, okay, yeah, I thought this was original, but this looks awful. I mean, what is, what's it going to take to fix it? Guy looks at it, he goes, oh, no. That's how they came out of the factory. Yeah, yeah. The meta, we call that mastic. That, <laughs> oh, is that like, what it was? Rubberized stuff. It's oh, yeah. Everywhere. And he's like, yeah, they just slopped it in there. I, I see people on Bring a Trailer all the time posting pictures of their paint meter readings. Mm. Now, listen, I, I actually wrote the paint standard at, at uh, my last job at Rivian. So I know a little bit about, I know a little bit about paint. And uh, I see people posting paint meter readings all the time. Paint meter readings don't mean anything. They I mean, don't? Cars get repaired in the factory all the time. 
Oh. You know, you know, you've got 20 cars coming down the line. You know, two of them are going to need some kind of, you know, paint repair or one of them has a small dent. They've got the PDR guys on site. They come there and uh It's that frequent, 2 out of 20? Absolutely. Things happen. You know, you've got you got thousands of people interacting with the vehicle as it goes through the processes. You can get scratches, you can get all kinds of things going okay. on. Look, look, let me quiz you or let me explain what I know about a paint meter. You can tell me how wrong I am because I just got one, too. And you go around the car and, you, and, it, and it measures the, the thickness of the paint meter. And what you're hoping is, is it's between four and seven millimeters. And it's consistent all the way around. If you get somewhere and it says 20, it's probably been repainted. Yeah, microns actually. But oh, microns. Yeah. Okay. But it's, uh, well. Is I that mean, true? You just don't, How do you use one? You don't know because parts of the vehicle can be painted at different places and different and by different equipment and using different types of paint sprayers. So, you know, some parts are delivered to the factory painted from a supplier, you know, and some other parts. Exterior parts. Yeah. Oh, like bumpers. Sure. sure. Like bumpers or okay. lift gates, um, that kind of thing. Is that why the Honda bumpers never match the rest of the car? <laughs> Could be. Never been to their plant, but could be. Um, so between, you know, all of the different supplied parts that are coming in painted, repairs that could happen at the factory, yeah. different colors have different thicknesses. So, uh, like, for example, white is always applied. It, it's a thicker product than, say, a red. So um, there's all kinds of things going on. So I see these guys on Ringer Trailer, they're like, look, you know, it's all this, you know, oh, it's been in an accident. You don't really know. You don't really know. Somebody but who if actually, they're all consistent around. If the they're whole all car, consistent, that's a good sign. You're good. That's a good sign. Okay. Well, yeah. at least you have that to fall back on. Yeah. Is there a minimum number you want to see? Uh, it's going to vary depending on the the paint material, how it's applied. I mean, okay. there's not one answer. I mean, you do want to see some consistency, but a lot of modern cars, today's cars, have supplied parts to the plant that are painted at the supplier. I tell you, paint. You know. It just sounds like such a complicated, what I know, such a complicated topic. And uh, there's a guy we know locally. He's, he's, he restores a lot of Corvettes. His name's Werner. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe you know him. Um, I met him at, at some event, and he's restoring a lot of GM execs Corvettes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. Really neat guy. Yeah. And we got to talking because uh, I was trying to pick a color to paint my Ferrari. And I know that sounds really pretentious, but it's a $20,000 <laughs> Ferrari. Um, and I was like, I'm really having trouble. And he goes, well, let me tell you about paint. And he launches into this whole thing. And he says, I could spray the paint. And then somebody else sprays paint, same, exact same paint, same boosted, everything. It might look different. I'm yeah. Like, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, oh, and then as you spray and you go around the car, it'll look different as you go around the car. And I, 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 what, what, what? You know? I know of a car color. Uh, I'll get really specific. It's um, Mini Cooper had a color in like 2002 2004 time frame it was like a, i forget what it's called but it was like a burgundy metallic and at their plant in england they had two paint lines yeah and one of the lines used one type of spray bell and the other uh line used a different type of spray bell you mean that's the nozzle on the yeah car? the nozzle on the end yeah. and um the cars would look completely different no like the cars that would come out the end yeah. you could tell just looking at them which one came yeah. out of a and which one came out of get B? out seriously yeah. which one did you like better do you care uh that was an ugly color i mean okay <laughs> what's like the the in, in, in the in the if we were going to peel back the curtain in the automotive industry what are some of the scariest things you've seen oh man um 
Like the the sledgehammer at the plant was pretty good. I think it's like the the the, uh, the adjustment of the body panels so that they look like they fit really well and have perfect panel gaps. The manual adjustments. I think if people saw that, they'd be horrified. Right. But that's just the way it is. You know, it's like my neighbor. He's an orthopedist, and he's been doing hip replacements and knee replacements forever. He's, I think he's sixty, and. I asked him, I said, uh, you know, it'd be really interesting if I could observe one of your surgeries. And he just said, yeah, you don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> said, Why not? You know, I really, yeah, I, I admire what you do. I'd like to see it. He goes, and he, he holds up his hand and his hands are like the biggest, meatiest. Because he's hammering people. Power, yeah. <laughs> power lifting hands you'd ever seen. He had those, those hand exercises in his cars that he would just stretch. I was like, what do you mean? He's like. He's like, he's like, well, you wouldn't believe like the movement that goes on and how much hard physical, physically hard this is and how much he has to manipulate everything. So yeah. he's like, you just don't want to know. Yeah. You don't and it sounds know. like the same thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So the, uh, the, the manipulation of the body panels, so it all looks right. Anything else at the water leaks? In cars, water leaks. Yeah, how much time goes into it? Doesn't matter which car company. Like coolant leaks? No, like water egress from ingress from like rain. You know, they're constantly chasing stuff like that down in car factories. Yeah. So the car is designed to a spec, but then as it gets built, something doesn't line up, and it the water gets some variation and some process, and then you know you get a leak. I mean, I have a car right now. I left my gym bag in the floor the other day. This BMW I'm driving, and uh. When I got to the gym, I realized all my stuff in it was wet. There's some water leak that's coming in. Yeah, yeah but that's a convertible and it's an old one. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, happen. yeah. But that's true. But it, but that kind of stuff happens in, you know, any kind of new Do car. they test for it at the plant? Yes. Before a car goes out, they, yeah. they douse it. Yeah. They have um like a, almost like a, a fancy car wash kind of thing that does high pressure spray. Yeah, they, they test cars. Okay, okay. Yeah, and there's a lot of work that sometimes goes into getting those water leaks corrected. Now, as a designer, you're sort of, that's what you're trained, but you've sort of moved into manufacturing. You've moved all kind of all over the place. Like what's been your kind of, what would you call your tra- career trajectory? Like right now, do you still want to design? Do you still like yeah, That's the, a good question. So I've done, back and forth yeah, I've it? covered all aspects of the business. So I've got, um, ex- I've done exterior design, I've done yeah. interior design, yeah. done infotainment, UI, UX, and then. Uh, I've done a lot of perceived quality work, which or which I think should be associated with build quality. That is what most people think of as build quality. Yeah. Um, I I'm comfortable with any of that stuff. Uh, for me, I just love the product creation process. I see. Yeah. You're right. Getting to the end to see this thing coming out of a factory that we were just working on in a, you know, computer simulation or something like that, or you know, designing it. But it's such a long process. That's one thing. That's the other thing that always. Um, like we have like behind us are the pages of our magazine that we um, we produce every two months. And it's super fun because you produce it, you slave over it, and then you get to see that product four weeks after you're done. And then there's the next one. Yeah. Four weeks later. I mean, yeah. it's like it's it's such a gift. But for a car company, it takes four or five years to build a car. Right. You're designing something. You got to wait this long time to see it out of the plant. Like, isn't that. Is it still still well? Though. You get to know the product so well that you don't really care about it. You don't want to own it. <laughs> like I've never, you know, and it's not just cars. Like I've worked on, like in you know, freelance consulting. I've done like consumer products, everything mm-hmm. from I've done a home pregnancy tests to uh, 
you know, like Happy Meal toys. Like oh, I've right. done all, I have never bought anything that I've ever worked on. Ever. Well, yeah, you're done with years. it. Because right. you're done with it. Like, you know too much about it. Right. You don't see it. You just see it as work. I mean, it's just like if you, I don't know, if you're a bricklayer, you don't want to come home and see a pile of bricks in your living room. I totally get it. Right. You know, let's talk about designers because it, it's having been around the car business long enough, like you guys are you're sort of like the Swiss Army knives of, mm, I don't know, car company execs. Like most designers I know, they work on they work on cars they love cars they know cars they're sort of these they're not just like engineers where engineers really kind of you know stick to the mechanicals they they don't really have much expertise in design or they may have opinions but like gosh the designers the ones i know like you you guys understand all aspects of the car and i don't know if it's the training or if it's just sort of like your brains work that way i mean when did you know you were going to be a designer? Me? Yeah, you. Personally? Uh, early. Like single digits of age. Growing I mean, up where? Virginia. Where in Virginia? Uh, Richmond. Oh, yeah, Richmond. Yeah. Nice place to visit. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I knew very early as a little kid that mm -hmm. I wanted to do something with designing cars. And I didn't really know. So you're doodling a lot? Doodling a lot. Yeah. I'll tell you a story. He gets super embarrassed when I tell this story, but this is an absolute true story. Yeah. You know Ed Welburn? Sure. Head of design. Well, he's retired now. He yeah. was the global VP of uh, design for General Motors. When I was around 12, mm -hmm. there was an article about him and some other car designers in um, Ebony Magazine. Remember Ebony I Magazine? I do remember Ebony, sure. Uh, I don't think they still print that. But um, anyway, I, you know, when you're 12... You think everybody's going to talk to you, right? Yeah. So somehow I you know, went to the library and I got the address of General Motors and I wrote him a letter. No kidding. Explain, and I, I sent him my sketches, like a stack of bad sketches. And um, much to my great surprise, uh, he and a couple of other guys, uh, a guy named Sam Mayers, who oh. was one of the key guys in, who designed the Fox Mustang. Oh. Um, a woman named Emmeline King, who was a designer at Ford. A bunch of these guys... Um, got together and they they invited me to come to Detroit. How old were you? I was I think by the time that all unfolded, I think I was fourteen. The wow. summer that I came, and uh, I got to go on a tour of Ford Design Could we Studio. Pause for a second? Yeah, yeah. When I was at fourteen, my parents didn't have the money for a plane ticket. I had never still never been on a plane. How did you get there? Did your oh folks my have my parents indulged indulged me and yeah they flew me there. Oh, they flew you out yeah, there. Did they go yeah. with you? My dad did. Oh my yeah. gosh. So uh, Ed Walburn, he arranged a, a tour of the GM design. Really? I, here I'm a little kid, right? I'm running around the GM design center. He's showing me clay models and and all this kind of stuff. And so, um, well, that, you know, he had done the same, right? Yeah, yeah. He wrote yeah. to GM early in, in his youth, and they wrote back. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Sorry. So that, so you know, so that's why you you, uh, I was, you know, people ask me if kids ask me, I always try to help because you you just don't know how you're gonna impact somebody's life. So this was a life-changing yeah. visit for you. Right. So you landed Detroit. Coming to Detroit, go to um, you know, go to the car studios, went to Ford and Giamatti executives, had lunch in the executive dining room. You did? They had executive dining rooms back then, if you can believe it. Wait, wait, can we back up? Because the design center at General Motors, you went to Warren, right? Warren. Went Michigan. to Warren, yeah. One day went to Ford a different day. Okay. I've only been in that place a little bit. It's sort of off limits. 
I don't know. Can you describe it? Because that is the Mad Men era done to. It is the best. It's gorgeous. I mean, as a architectural masterpiece. The it is okay. It's designed by Saarinen. Who's that? He was um, a designer and architect, Mm -hmm. and uh, he uh, designed some of the most beautiful mid-century modern structures and furniture. Um, That building is for a designer. It's like a religious experience. It is spectacularly beautiful and just anybody who's listening to this go online and google pictures of the gm design it center. is amazing it is absolutely yeah. amazing yeah yeah so you go in at a 14 year old were you appreciative of that space or were you just like your head must have been i don't spinning. know i mean i was so excited to be there i couldn't oh, yeah. believe where i was and then i'm meeting all these people and seeing all this stuff that you don't get to see you yeah. know future cars sure. and play models and that kind of thing what did they say about your drawings do you remember um i corresponded with um with ed and a guy named Harry Bradley, who was at Art Center, an uh, instructor. He designed the Bradley GT. Remember that? Oh, yeah. It was like a fiberglass Volkswagen. Sure. Um, and Sam Mayers, um, they gave me very uh, real well, criticism. You know, this is what you should do. This is why you should do it. Mm. And that went on for a couple of years. And then um, I put my portfolio together and I went to, CC, you know, got accepted to CCS. And, you know, I'd had some help from some smart people. And, you know, I sort of knew what to do, and I got in there. And what a great story! Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool story. So you knew at fourteen, like this is your life trajectory. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you're going to design cars and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and I was fortunate to have people who, um, you know, who supported me in that. I mean, I, this is really a small thing, but when I was really little, like five, six, seven, and I was drawing, I had an aunt who was a piano teacher mm-hmm. who just made sure that I had a ream of paper. She always would, you know, like office paper. Oh, she yeah. would just make sure that I had a ream of paper. I mean, because when you're five, if you don't have a, if you want to draw, but there's no paper, you just go do something else. You don't like, think to ask for you, more paper. Right, you yeah. don't, you know, so she always made sure I had paper, but, you know, she was a piano teacher, so she understood kind of how to deal with children. No way. So small things like that can make a big difference. So your family must be incredibly proud. Maybe. I don't know. I'm kind of the least <laughs> successful person in my family. I mean, seriously. It's, but that uh, was your, yeah. you know, that was your goal and you did it. And you've been yeah. working on cars ever That's since. And you know, I'm, I'm so lucky because there isn't really much difference between my hobby and my professional life. You know, my hobby is cars. My professional life is cars. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are not many people who can say that. It's, yeah. it's been awesome. Yeah. So, with your background in the automotive industry, you've worked on it for like 20 years. What do you think, like, you know, I always say, like, we're at this incredible transform- transformative time. We don't really know what the end state's going to be, and it may never be an end state. It may be a constant evolution. It's probably more likely. But, like, what do you see, um, like, what are some of the pitfalls that some companies are pursuing? Like, the General Motors, for example, I find really interesting because, you know, Mary Barra has been at the helm for nine or 10 years. She's, uh, I think, done a fantastic job of turning around the culture of that company. I mean, we, a lot of times when we're recommending cars to people, we'll often say like, yeah, you should probably get the, the GM, whatever. There's a, there's a young kid here. And I said, you should probably get that Trax. It's like 22,000 bucks. Nice looking car. The General Motors are generally reliable. On the other hand, at least publicly, they, they made two very big costly bets, cruise automation and into EVs, Yeah, which neither one worked out. Right. Now, as a leader, Yet. you have to be bold. Oh, yep. but right now, this is all looking like 
uh-oh, this could be trouble. But then again, GM made all kinds of money last year, so maybe they know what they're doing. I mean, where's your take on all that? Well, they that? also put money in Nikola. That didn't work out so well. Well, I mean, any venture yeah. capitalist has some losers, right? Right, you're going to lose some. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a weird time. I, I think there are going to be a lot of solutions at the end. I don't think we're going to have one propulsion system in the end. I think there'll be you two don't. or three. I think we'll have, mm. you know, there'll be some ice. There'll be some, you know, um, hydrogen fuel cells. There'll be some EVs. Okay. Um, there'll be different kinds of hybrids of those things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, over time, that stuff will settle out, but we'll be dead. You and I will be dead. You we're so? talking, you know, the future. I'm talking 40 years from now, okay. 50 years from now. You know, we're going to see some big changes. I think. Um, so the the evolution is, are you saying it's going to be really slow? And then 40 years from now, we'll look back at 2024 and go, boy, they didn't know what was coming. Yeah. It's very much like what happened at the turn of the previous century when there were 300 car companies. There was steam. There was electric. Yeah. There was, you know, gas. There right. was diesel. Yeah. You know, and it took a while to settle down and, yeah. and, and, and pick one. But I do think that we're in a strange place from a design point of view um, because the packages are all the same, the vehicle packages. So that's the, oh. the engineering uh, architectures of these vehicles are all the same, which means they all look the same. I, I, I mean, this this trend, it's funny you mentioned that. When I was a car and driver, maybe 20 years ago, I put up a spreadsheet and the segment that was the most popular vehicle segment, the type of vehicle was the sort of what you call the midsize sedan. So I made on a spreadsheet, uh, the Honda Accord, Toyota Camry, Chevy Malibu, Ford Taurus, whatever. Put them all on a spreadsheet. I put price, horsepower, length, width, every single one of those measurements. And there was 10 cars was plus or minus an inch. <laughs> they were essentially carbon copies of each right. other. And I was sitting there thinking like, that's when I started realizing that, oh, the most important person at the car company is the head designer. Because who's going to differentiate these things? It's just going to be the look. Well, the problem now is the packages are so similar, you can't even differentiate it in styling. So then you end up with cars that are like what I consider decorated. They're decorated like birthday cakes, like any new BMW, right? Yeah. That new, uh, what is it, the X? Uh, I can't keep it straight. S, it's an electric SUV they have. Oh, It's yeah. a terrible looking car. Yeah. It's got like 16 different well, they have design seen. languages on it. And yeah, all these cars are... Um, the companies are so desperate to create some kind of market differentiation that sometimes they just end up with weird-looking Well, because the, the vast majority of people want one of two things. They want either a pickup truck or they want what's called a crossover, which is basically a jacked-up station wagon. Uh, that's what you mean? Well, I would argue that oh. Tesla has proven... By the way, I hate these cars. I mean, I keep talking hate about Tesla. Cars? I actually hate them. Like the enthusiasts in me, I hate Teslas. Why? But, but they're a perfect example of wait, wait, why do you hate good them? things because they're just... First of all, I like cars that are built well. They're not built well. I don't think they're built that okay. well. You were just, you were I, just I waxing love poetically about. I mean, no, no. The technology. See, I can separate the technology and oh. engineering piece from whether I like it as a consumer. But I'm not a typical consumer. But one thing they have proven at Tesla, without a shadow of a doubt, they have proven that what consumers are really interested in today is features and value. Right. So you get into a Tesla. It doesn't matter to you that it's looked the same for 10 years, hasn't had any different sheet metal changes really to speak of, but you get in the car, the features have evolved. It has all these things that you appreciate about that, that improve your driving experience and improve how you interact with the world. Um, and the evidence is Tesla uh, outsells 
BMW and Mercedes combined, or are very close to outselling both of those brands combined in North America. And yet they haven't invested in new sheet metal. I mean, I can't even keep up with how many different Mercedes models there are. I got it. Okay. Right. There's two things. I'm, I'm going to talk for a little bit here. So you're going to have to interrupt me if I get preachy. Okay. <laughs> the Tesla thing, though, I think the thing you're missing is the status and it's the brand. It's sort there of is, like, oh, for sure. Like, do you remember the first generation Prius? Yeah. Remember how ugly that thing is? Yeah. It's hideous. It's yeah. a little egg. They sold 150,000 of them because it advertised they were smart enough. To, you know, Honda had a hybrid that was just as efficient. Didn't sell anywhere near because the Toyota advertised your green credentials. Same thing with the Tesla. It looks totally different. They got rid of the grill. It tells everybody I'm hip, I'm new, I'm an early tech oriented. I'm tech oriented. I'm not 53 years old like I am. I'm really young. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I think that's a big part of it too. It is part. So, um, and they have managed, you know, likely through Elon, who's just a brilliant communicator. And I don't mean brilliant like a good communicator, but just he gets the word out really well whether you like what he says or not so i think that what a brand says about a person is above and beyond a bigger meaning well, than the most interesting thing about what you're saying is what? that they've done that without advertising you have never seen an ad for a tesla yeah i know right there's no advertising that's what i mean he's a really good communicator so i think one of the things that the ev business across the board has really failed at it doesn't matter whether it's gm whether it's ford tesla rivian lucid no one is articulating to the consumer why they should own an EV. There's 10 different things, right? Some people think they should own them because it's saving the environment, you know, exhaust emissions. Is it fuel? You know, I don't have to buy gas. It's the convenience of never having to go to a gas station. It's, um, you know, it's the cool factor. It's all this different stuff. Well, it's, it's, and it's, it's performance for some people. And it's new. And it's new. Humans like new things. But n- the industry hasn't consolidated that pitch. So, most people, they just like, well, I mean, just if I get that car, it's just going to be inconvenient because nobody's really told them. You know, they're so busy trying to explain what their brand does. Well, I'm, you know, I'm the, the most engineered car or I'm the most adventurous one or whatever the tag- tagline is. Nobody has said, Mr. Consumer, you should buy this car because it saves carbon emissions or whatever the mission is, Why do they need is it? just not being communicated. I, yeah, but we're, we're in this cycle where we're saying like as, as pundits like me, I'm supposed to judge whether or not this is working or not. I'm not going to judge it. I'm just going to tell you like some of the facts. They sold almost a million EVs last year. Most of them were Teslas. You're talking about North America. Yeah. Yeah. Something's working. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's, but that's my, that was my total, original point. Total new cars was 14 million. Almost 10% were EVs. So you've made my point for me. So Tesla is 60-something percent of that million. Yeah, they sold half a million? Yeah, yeah and, in North America. And they haven't really changed the product. They keep evolving the feature set on the inside of the Why car. Why does that surprise you? The Toyota Tundra has not changed for 20 freaking years. The 4Runner, same thing, hasn't changed for 20 they years. They had a formula. They had a formula. Yeah. And people keep buying it. Like, I, it, like you look at a 4Runner, they still sell 100,000 of those things. It's a 20-year-old car. And every time I look at it, I'm like, that looks really cool. I go drive it. I'm like, holy smokes, this thing's really old. People still buy it. They don't care. Well, uh, they know that the one attribute that really matters is its reliability. You know, if you buy a Forerunner, it's going to be here after the Atomic War, <laughs> right? Like, it'll be cockroaches and Forerunners. <laughs> yeah, it gets really complicated. Um, so, I mean, I as we speak about this and those points you brought up 10 years, the Tesla hasn't changed. 
Uh, the competition is coming. Like all the logic tells you, whew, they are in trouble. I remember saying that 10 years ago. Like they're they're overhyped. They're this, they're that. And Who, who's in trouble? Wait, who's in trouble? Tesla. Te- they're not in trouble. I know. They're the second most profitable car company in the world. Exactly. I mean, it's sort of like whatever they're figured out. I, those cars, I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, you can you can make fun of me for this, but like as the, they lowered the prices of the new ones. So what did that do? That made the used ones actually really cheap. Yeah. The supply, as we just said, is really high. Yep. And there's some question about what it might cost to replace a battery, which means secondhand Teslas are cheap. 20 grand. Right. And that is a pretty compelling 20 grand car. It really is. How yeah. do you do better than that? I don't know. You're going to get a used uh, Corolla? I don't know. Corolla is great, by the way. That's a great car. Yeah, Civic and Corolla is really yeah, good. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. But yeah. um, you're not going to get all the the electronic driving assistance right. features and you know all that kind of cool stuff that people want. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to speak to is what you said was like, you think Tesla is outselling BMW and Mercedes? Yeah, you didn't look it up. It's very it's close. close. Yeah, but and by the way, with three models, that's the point. Oh, this is yeah, what I'm getting at. Right. We're gonna we're gonna agree here, which yeah, is yeah. gonna make for boring podcasts, but maybe not because <laughs> I remember when I was at Road and Track, I'd hired Bob Lutz to do a um, column for us. God, you ever met Bob? He's oh like, yeah, I love oh, definitely. Bob. I mean, I'd get to go to his house. We do. Yeah. He's just such a neat guy and. You know, at the time, you looked at the Mercedes dealership. They had uh, a coupe version of the SUV. They had a four-door version, a two-door version. They had all these little niche models. And I thought, wow, how can they afford to make all this stuff? And I went to Bob and I said, can you speak about this? And he and I were just chatting. I said, Is, how do the factories, are they just the factories that the technology is getting better? They can make these profitably? And he said something. He goes, yeah, it doesn't really matter if they can. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well... The average dealership can really only sell three to four cars. And he's like, Lee Iacocca once told me, Bob, don't plant too many flowers because you can't piss on all of them. (laughs) (laughs) But they're still doing it. Yeah. Am I crazy? Do you see the same thing? They're they're not dumb. They're smart people. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. Well, they got a lot of things going on at the legacy car dealerships that have nothing to do with the car, right? I mean, one of the primary factors is they have financing. And most people, by the way, I sold new Fords when I was in college. So you I did? actually, oh yeah. That so was I valuable. Lived, oh my God. I learned so much. Yeah. But one of the things that happens is people, A, they, there's a dealership down the street. I need a new car. Two miles from here, there's a, de- a dealership. doesn't matter whether it's Kia, Ford, whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a dealership down there mm-hmm. and they have cars that I can get for whatever my month, you know, to payment shoppers. What can I get for three thirty nine a month? Yeah. And they go in, they ask for that. And, you know, they're, they have a credit score of, you know, 470 or something, but still somehow the dealership gets them approved, you know, at some company that doesn't, that doesn't happen with the direct to consumer, um, brands like Tesla. So, or Rivian, right? So you've got a large section of the country that's really shopping for payment and convenience. And it really doesn't matter what the car is. They don't care if it's an escape or an Equinox or the Kia version of those cars, as long as they can get the payment. For what they're looking for and that's a that's a sizable chunk of the market what does that have to do with the german car companies making all these little niche products because in the old days like i've got a 1990 mercedes which you know commissa gives me a hard time about uh for not bringing it to his uh oh my god those are show. some of the best design cars ever yeah so that car costs um 
cost fifty nine thousand dollars new in nineteen ninety, mm, right? Like one hundred fifty so today. It's yeah. like one hundred fifty, maybe one hundred eighty today. Yeah. Um, back then, Mercedes was an exclusive brand. Yeah. I mean, it's worth four grand now, but I mean, it was an exclusive product <laughs> for for rich people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But now, but they want they went after volume, so that mm. meant they had to have a a body style at every price point with an attractive lease price. And that's, oh, they went after rocks. That's that's what drove all these right, little niches. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah. It's funny what came to mind when you said this. I have this fantasy I want to do. And it's not what you think when you think fantasy, but here and and I'm like, where are we going with your yeah, fantasies go here? <laughs> <laughs> go ahead and make fun of me for this. But I was driving around in the uh uh the hills of eastern Kentucky and okay. I, I had this uh nineteen ninety one, I think, NSX, I got flat. And I had to go back to Bowling Green, which is where the Corvette was built, to get a new tire. Okay, this yep. spare was the thing. And I happened to find this this uh, four lane road, which is just back to back used car lots. There must have been fifteen of them, right next to each other. And I thought, holy cow! Like this is commerce, doggy dog, <laughs> right, right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And how does one differentiate from the other? And I just was like. All I could think about was how I was telling one of our younger guys, this guy, Max, I said, listen, Max, I want you to work here, but if I were you, I'd seriously think about being a car salesman at one of these lots for a summer. There's a book, oh. there's a book there. I am convinced the characters you will meet and Max, you have the talent to write such a book, but <laughs> that is one of my dreams to go down to this place in Bowling Green and spend the summer trying to sell cars and write about that experience. You can't believe the stuff that comes in there. I bet. When I was uh, in college and I was working at Universal Ford in Richmond, Virginia, yeah. um, a woman came in. I'll never forget. She wanted to buy a sand color. I call it retirement beige. You know, this sort of sand colored <laughs> Ford Taurus. I've been liking that car <laughs> lately, by the old, way. Right? And... Uh, and back then, like you had to fill out the credit application manually, and then okay. I would turn it into the finance manager. And she, I get to the part where I have to, I have to ask her what her occupation is. Mm -hmm. I said, "Ma'am, well, you know what's your occupation?" And she, she looked at me. She said, "I burn babies." What? <laughs> and I, I, seriously, I, excuse me. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. She says, "Yeah, I, I run the crematorium at the oh. funeral home, and I do the babies." <laughs> I mean, you oh know, the things God. that are happening in these yeah. car dealerships, like you have on yeah. a daily basis, like humanity is happening. Yeah, Just, yeah. It's like, it's, it, it, it's what I mean. It's like a doggy dog fight for survival in, as a business case. And then, I mean, I, I imagined so many things that there's probably regulars that come in all the time and they're big characters. Yep. I mean, these, these, this is what I'm saying. These are all like, I'm fantasizing yeah. about the stories I could tell from oh, these people. Yeah. And then the folks that come in with the hard luck story and you know, what could I do? And I mean, all kinds of back and forth that it would just be such a, I think you could get a real view of humanity, a real clear view of humanity through a used car lot in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Absolutely. Maybe that's the title of my book. Especially the ones that are the buy here, pay here a lot. Yeah, yeah. What does that mean? What, what, you know, you can buy the car there yep. and then you pay, you know, you pay, you make payments to the dealership so you're not dealing with a bank. Yeah. And we have a lot of those in Detroit. Right. And then they have yeah. to repossess them, right? That's yeah. a whole nother business. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be in that business. <laughs> that's dangerous. <laughs> Especially so, in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. There's all kind of uh, riches. That, are you seeing anything in, uh, you know, I wanted to circle back to the Cybertruck. Yeah. And as a designer, 
It's a very polarizing thing. You know, you probably, we both know the Franz, the guy behind it. Franz von Holzhausen. Yeah. yeah uh, talented guy worked at Mazda and things like that. So what's your take on it? Um, I think we should all be really thankful that we're in a space now where a company can just say, we're not going to follow the old rules. We're going to do yeah. something completely different and we don't care what it looks like. It's going to look completely different. It's not going to be, uh, you know, a decorated, redecorated version of the car you had last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm saddened by uh, the number of people that really want to hate on it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I saw these, these uh, short videos about it getting stuck in the snow. Ha ha. It's a piece of junk. And I remember showing it to my son and even him, of course, he's my son. He just goes, that's so stupid. They just put the wrong tires on it. I was like, Thank yeah, can you imagine Thank if you. every time an F one fifty got stuck in the snow, totally. like somebody would post it? You know, it's, yeah, yeah. I yeah. just like you know, I, I I don't understand why anybody would rain on somebody else's parade. It's a new kind of creativity. It's it took some real courage to put it out there. Just awesome. You know, uh, everything's political now. Yeah, and, you know, people either want to love that product or hate it. Right. Uh, I'm not. I don't think it's beautiful. I'm not in the love it for its looks camp, no, but no. I love the fact that it exists. Sure. Right. It's here. What's new that you've noticed that you really admire? In the new car space? Yeah, yeah. Um, Other than the Cybertruck, is there anything that? Man, the new uh, Aston Martin V8 Vantage that came out last week. I oh, want really? that car. Oh, yeah? Oh, so good looking. No kidding. It's like old, cool, old school car styling, the way car styling, like Harley Earl or Bill Mitchell would have looked at that car and said, now that's a good looking car. Oh, get out of here. Yeah. Okay, I'll check it out. I missed it. I've been impressed with Toyota. The new Prius, Prius is gorgeous. absolutely sensational. Did you see yeah. the crown? Yeah, I saw one for the first time in traffic this week. I mean, where did this come from? Yeah. I mean, Toyota of all companies. My college roommate, uh, Bill Tregoski, who's the chief designer at Toyota, he's uh, he's got one of those on orders. Like, he could get any Toyota, but that's the one he's getting. The new Land Cruiser looks pretty cool. Uh, uh, we drove, very cool. We drove the Corolla. I drove the Corolla GR with the Marizo Mar Mar edition. Yeah. Right. Best hot <laughs> hatch ever made. I Brilliant car. Rented... I went to Palm Springs um, last year and rented a loaded Corolla. Mm -hmm. I could not believe how great it was. Exactly. Yeah. It was really, it, I mean, to get a better car, you have to spend double or triple the money. Yeah. When people say, like, what kind of car should I buy? My friend was asking me. I was like, oh, Honda Civic Si. Yeah. He's like, what? I'm like, oh, no. Really refined. Super fun. Yeah, it only has 200 horsepower, but what else do you need? Quiet. Yeah. Great to drive. Lots of room. Practical. And it's under 30 grand. Yeah, and it looks good. It looks good. Yeah, they really did a good job, I think, with the design of it. Um, I'm sort of impressed with um, the pickup market, how that continues to proliferate. And um, I wish they weren't so big. It's gotten it, a bit stupid how big they are. It, like I said, I drive a Ram in the winter, and I I have a big box trailer. We towed a racetrack all the time, so I have to have a pickup. And I love this thing until I gotta park it. <laughs> and, and the one you have, I think they're even bigger now. I mean, you have a one that's a few years old, right? Like, it, no, I just bought it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They it's have, huge. They have, uh, of course, multiple lengths of those. Like, which which version do you have? Well, I mean, I got the, the crew cab. So it has okay. A, you got the big got one. a huge cab with a yeah. short bed. You're not going to be parallel parking that thing it's, downtown, right? <laughs> it's a monster. Yeah. But, you know, if you tow, you need it. Like if I didn't tow, there's no chance I would be in a full size pickup. And they make, you know, there's a Ranger, there's Colorado, there's the Maverick, the Tacoma, there's the new Frontier. There's this this mini pickup segment is again 
pretty healthy. Yeah. So there are alternatives. And some of those are incredibly cool. Like the, the Ford, um, the Maverick's the small one, right? Yeah. That thing looks incredible. It's really nice, it's a isn't it? Fantastic piece of product design. Yeah. And it's like, it's in the low twenties and oh, shocker. People really want it and they can't build enough of them. Yeah. They don't make It's money affordable out. and it looks great and yeah. it, it doesn't make any bad social statements about you. It just <laughs> says here, here, I love this thing. And, yeah. um, you know, I, you know, I like car, I like a cool looking car and this is really functional and it's really a, you know, a nicely done product. Yeah. Well, it's been fun talking to you. Did we miss anything we should cover while we're here? Well, I, I, I do think, um, Ferrari FF shouldn't have been on the, uh, the Haggerty. <laughs> all right, let's get into yeah. it. Come yeah. on, right, I'll, I can defend this the all day. The market. <laughs> okay, on. so let me back I up. I love those cars. Every by year, the way. Yeah, God damn it, everybody's a damn critic. Uh, every year, we uh, for seven years we've published a list of cars that we think are going to improve in value, or they're going to appreciate a little bit. And the whole point is, we're going to show how cheap it is to own a classic car because you can buy this car, enjoy it for a couple of years, sell it for about what you got in it. We called it the bull market list. And this year, you can see all this on Haggerty.com slash media, or even better, become a member of the Haggerty Drivers Club, and you'll get it in the magazine wrapper that we uh, spend a lot of time perfecting. And on this list was a car called the Ferrari FF. We had a lot of debates about this, too. We were first driven by the data, and the data suggested that this thing had fully depreciated. This car was super cool because it had real size back seats, a V12 engine, and this uh, four-wheel drive unit, which I think is why you're going to take me to task for this car. Uh, <laughs> it, in most four-wheel drive, uh, you have a couple of drive shafts or you have uh, power routing from the transmission to the front axle. This thing actually put this little transmission at the front of the motor to drive the front wheel. They call it a power takeoff. It's got two speeds, kind of this neat thing. The cars are gorgeous. Breaks. They sound incredible. What's not to like? like? I love the car. Yeah. So what's the problem? It breaks. And it's $40,000 to fix it. And it keeps breaking. That part is not... The new ones, the new PTU is as unreliable as the, the one you took out of the car. Okay. So, fair. But what you're suggesting is, is the reason it's on the list, right? Those luxury cars depreciate like freaking crazy because oh, they're expensive to repair. depreciation. <laughs> what do you mean it's a miracle? Like I mean, it's th I, like I tell people all the time, through the miracle of depreciation, you too can own <laughs> you know, the, the, car of your the car of your dreams. Yeah. I will say that I think... Um, so your, your, your beef is if you buy one of these, the car may appreciate, but you're looking at a potential $40,000 The appreciation repair. doesn't cover your repairs, yeah. Wait, every used car is a dice roll. Uh, yeah. But if what you're looking for is a front-engined V12 four-seater, I would put my money on, as an enthusiast, the Aston Martin Repeat. That's what I bought. I wanted the FF, but I got the Repeat. Because the Repeat is reliable. Says who? I've owned two of them. They've You've owned two of them? Yeah. I've, I, I've, I'm on my second one. I mean, it is the most gorgeous four-door sedan ever Most made. beautiful four-door sedan. Mm -hmm. um, great power delivery. It's special. Um, you know, it feels special when you drive it. You're not going to see one on every corner. You won't see that on an FF either. Yeah. But it's totally reliable. You can go, you know, it's it was from a Ford, the Ford era of Aston Martin. I mean, I think that's a great alternative. Did you get in the comments on our website and, and suggest this? Like, so this information could be valuable to people? I don't want to hurt, your, I don't hurt to your feelings. You just want to complain Yeah, to I just want to complain to you in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
I mean, it, it's the challenge of what we do. Yeah. In that, uh, you know, we have to make choices and it doesn't mean it's one or the other. It's oh, always all. My whole life has been bad automotive choices. I've bought <laughs> the wrong cars my entire life. So yeah. I, I live in a house of bad decisions and you know, I don't throw stones. You know, are you sure? I mean, we hear different things from different people, right? The, um, I once uh, almost bought a F three fifty five Ferrari. Oh yeah, yeah, brilliant sounding car. That was yeah. the first Ferrari that was really a, uh, you know, sort of like a livable car. It has a five valve per cylinder engine that revs to eighty five hundred RPM. Sounds insanely good, yep. and they were cheap. This was like fifteen years ago. They were like forty five grand. And our friend oh, Colin Comer, he said, "Look." Pulls me aside. He's like, don't be an idiot. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, I got a friend who's got eight of these motors in his shop waiting for valve guides. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah. He's like, and they crack headers and they do this and they do that. I was like, well, the car's been out for long enough. People have solved all this, right? He's like, no, it scares me out of it. Then they go up to 150 grand. Yeah. You know, and I talked to another guy, an independent, and he's an independent repair guy. So what does he say? Nah, not that bad. Because he wants me to buy <laughs> he it. He wants you to buy it so you can fund his kid's college. Totally. Yeah. So I don't know what the I don't know what the truth is on some of this stuff. And and there's so much internet baloney sandwich that when somebody says, Yeah, the power takeoffs go, I'm like, no, I know a lot oh. of people with fifty thousand miles on these things. Oh, so it can't I'm, be that bad. I want to be really clear. I'm gonna buy a Ferrari FF. Oh, are you? <laughs> I'm going to buy one. It's going to be uh, like an ugly color that nobody wants because I like all the weird stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I, I think, you know, from a financial point of view, like, I don't think it's good because you're going to be fixing it all the time. But but that's the kind of stupid decision I make all the time. Well, I think it's, um, you know, the dealers, the Ferrari dealers are almost their worst enemies. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I have this $25,000 308 GT4. It's the cheapest Ferrari you can get. You've heard all the stories. But- I also owned an F430 stick. Brilliant car. I really liked it. Um, the reason I sold it was I would take it to the dealer and they would scare me into a $10,000 service. <laughs> and then yeah. I tell the people I know at the Ferrari factory and they'll say like, what? And they said, well, you know, we put a chain to drive the timing, uh, the camshaft, so you didn't have to replace the belt. They said, this car does not need a $10,000 service. Now, I don't know who's right. But a dealer sells so few cars, they got to make up some money somewhere. So when you say you're going to spend a lot to keep these on the road, I, for sure you are. You're going to spend more than a Camry. But, you know, it's a special car with a V12 engine. Yeah. I just rambled on there for a while. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, I know you're trying to, we're trying to close this down, but think about this. When we move to fully electrified powertrains yeah. across the board, not necessarily full EV, but hybrids and all these, you know, electrified propulsion systems, mm -hmm. how are these high-end car dealerships going to make money? Because they make money in service by doing those $10,000 services. If the things don't break because these electric motors don't break, they're going to have a serious problem. It's going to be a game changer for them. That's coming real soon. I've heard so many times that this car is so reliable and never needs a service. And it's, again, BS. I think I think we'll be okay. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> hey, it's been super fun yeah, to talk to you. Likewise. Is there any uh, anything we could point to? Any website of yours? Anything you want people to see while we're here? Or anything learn more about you? What do you want? You're a fascinating wants. guy. You're a bon vivant, as you the said. The bon vivant <laughs> and raconteur. Yeah, nobody wants to know anything about me. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, but no, I don't have a website okay. or anything. Yeah. Hey, well, thanks so much for coming. Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Never Stop Driving.